Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. What is beauty? What is attractiveness? It certainly seems to be something that is valued in our society and culture. Most of us take note of it in others and want it for ourselves. And because of that, it's an important concept to plastic surgeons who perform cosmetic or aesthetic procedures. They want to apply their best skills and creativity for the purpose of helping patients achieve their appearance goals. All humans have their own different ideas as to what constitutes being attractive, and many times they've been influenced by the cultures they were exposed to when young. But there may be some common themes. So let's think about some of the traditional pillars of beauty, which are symmetry, proportion, and contour. Symmetry means facial and body parts are exactly the same from side to side. But really, that's a fallacy. No one is ever perfectly symmetrical anywhere on our bodies, no matter what we may think, ever. In some cases, the differences may be small and subtle, but they are indeed there. So maybe in our aesthetic ideals, we are instead looking for parts that are relatively or close to symmetrical. Now what about proportion? Here we are subliminally taking into account ratios of lengths, widths, and depths. We evaluate the size relationship of some body parts as compared to others. We also mentally consider the positioning of the body part in reference to surrounding parts, meaning whether it looks like it's in the right spot. As we subconsciously evaluate someone's appearance, we may not realize the exact numerical ratios we're seeing when we look at, say, a nose on a face or the distance between eyes, but we sure seem to know when things feel off and relatively out of proportion. In terms of contour, we tend to favor smoothness in skin, and we expect certain shapes or curves of body parts which may diverge based on gender, but are often informed by a variety of personal tastes belonging to observers. There are so many articles and publications on the subject of measuring beauty, including some which are intended for the public's viewing, and some primarily geared towards plastic surgeons trying to refine their craft. Many of these reach back to the classical standards of ancient Greece, as depicted in centuries-old two-dimensional art such as drawing and painting, and 3D art like sculptures and statues. One dictum of beauty proportions is called the rule of thirds. An example would hold that the face be considered as three segments, namely the forehead, the mid-face, and the lower face. And ideally, each should be a similar height. So the forehead height would be one-third of the total facial height. Another tenet of beauty is the golden ratio, which is essentially Fibonacci's number, close to 1.6, 
and it is found to be commonly repeated in nature, such as in the proportions of the gradually increasing size of chambers in a nautilus shell. And we see it in humans, too, such as with the increasing lengths of the three bones in a single finger. Translated to the concept of beauty, the ideal full height of a face would be 1.6 times the width. But are these numerical constructs accurate? Or are they trying too hard to fit beauty concepts neatly into a box? Most plastic surgeons are wise enough to realize that beauty and attractiveness can't be reduced to simple formulas, which take such a narrow view of human desirability and are not consistently practical. And of course, most of us know that in truth, beauty is more than skin deep. It's also how you feel. A good portion of desirability has not so much to do with the visual as it does with how comfortable we are with ourselves and how we comport ourselves, how confident we are. But I digress, and we are here to talk about visual beauty today. So here's something interesting. If we're focusing exclusively on appearance, despite the existence of these pillars, symmetry, proportion, and contour, we find in truth that they are not enough to fully explain visual beauty and attractiveness. In fact, there can sometimes exist a paradox of beauty in that slightly tweaking these aspired-to ratios or proportions adds an element of something fresh and different, maybe even exotic. These days, having something slightly different or unexpected often enhances the attractiveness. Think of some of the famous models in our lifetime of any gender. Many might be considered to fall a little short of those classical standards for beauty, yet they possess some of the most desirable appearances in the world. However, if deviations from proportion and symmetry are pushed too far, the appearance can take on a less attractive nature. It's an elusive and delicate balance that no one really has a full grasp of. Fortunately, things have progressed since the days of ancient Greece, whose beauty standards may have been a bit culturally exclusive. The concept of beauty has expanded over time and has become more inclusive of different ethnicities, races, and cultures. Think of all the different clothing and makeup models we see today as compared to decades ago. More diversity and broader standards for beauty, if you will. So, circling back, we all see beauty a little bit differently. Which brings me to our interview today. I had the pleasure of speaking with freelance journalist Esther Honig about a project she worked on several years ago, exploring people's ideals of beauty and yielding some surprising findings which have staying power. Building on that, we also get a view into Esther's own insightful perspective as a younger American woman regarding the concept of beauty, its implications, and how it touches our lives. Our discussion gets a little philosophical, too. Let's take a listen. We are lucky today to have Esther Honig, an international journalist who actually has a focus on immigration, agriculture, and climate change. But today we are picking her brain about beauty. And Esther, thank you so much for being here. You are in Mexico City, so we're hearing a few city and street noises back there. Very realistic. Yes, it is a, um, a bit noisier as far as cities go, that's for sure. That's all right with us. And Esther, you had a really interesting project uh, several years ago. Would you mind describing your work on that project? It was regarding cultural impressions of beauty. And could you tell us a little bit about what the project was uh, and what the impetus was, how it started? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I was, it was 2014, so I was fresh out of college, um, about a year or two out of college, actually. 
And I had at the time I had taken on a temporary position. I had stepped away from journalism for a few months to work as a um, in marketing, social media marketing, which at the time no one really understood a lot about. Facebook had been around for a while, but Instagram had really just come on board in the last few years, and and Twitter, and and we were starting to kind of see this new sort of universe of social media, and the concept of going viral was still very new. And I remember for this job, I was doing a lot of research into you know how people were utilizing these platforms to do different types of projects that were just sort of a curiosity. They were just interesting and they'd grab your attention and you'd click on it. And it was kind of my job at the time to understand this and, and to see what you know I could do for this company I was working for to you know garner them more, more of an audience. And um, I was also told to use this website where they would outsource work to that was called Fiverr. And it was a website where you could contract freelancers from all over the world. And I was on there one day because I'd been told to find someone to make us some sort of a graphic design or something of that nature. And I stumbled upon this part of the page where you had all of these people who could edit photos for you. And they would say things like, I can make you a beautiful portrait and it would be someone, um, you know, advertising their skills in Photoshop and and maybe they were from somewhere like Sri Lanka. And I would look at these images and think, oh, wow, you know, their their concept of like a perfectly edited, beautiful portrait they'd want to hang on their wall is very airbrushed. You know, that the colors are really dramatic, like not the same aesthetic that we would use here in the U.S. to describe or, or to create a beautiful portrait and so that really initially hit me as something that was really interesting and I had long been really um, fascinated by the concept of, of different beauty standards according to different cultures around the world Interesting. and so that kind of yeah that struck me as a moment where I could um, a, an opportunity that I could sort of leverage these tools at my fingertips to make a project just for the sake of doing it to see what would happen and what it would look like so I had a local Kansas City photographer, E.G. Shemp, take my portrait. I had no makeup on. My hair was kind of tied back into a high bun. And I sent that off to several photo editors on that website, asking them to make me beautiful according to their standards. So to modify the photograph uh, to what they would consider to be beautiful. Right, exactly. So use Photoshop to modify this image to the standards that you would describe or you perceive as beautiful and so i sent off the first batch of images and started to get back the results and it was it was really fascinating there was a whole gamut of results everything from my skin being lightened to my skin being darkened to my lips being you know painted red or made bigger or smaller it was it was a really fascinating uh discovery how many people do you think took part in this modification of your photograph I think initially I collected around 20 images. After it going viral, I've continued to collect numerous unsolicited images from people around the world. I mean, I I stopped collecting them at a certain point, um, but I would say in like the thousands. You're kidding, the thousands, that's amazing. That is the true social nature of social media, isn't it? Well, I do want to ask you what your overall findings were in this probe. Were there some trends you noticed in terms of symmetry, proportion, et cetera, anything like that? I didn't walk away with a sense of there being a distinct trend or any Mm -hmm. sort of analysis that could point to, well, in this culture, 
this is right. clearly viewed as being the more desirable feature, so therefore that's why they gave that to me. I think you could probably discern those sorts of stereotypes, maybe just looking at the images. In the US, for example, I'm given this like huge quaff of fake hair. And, oh my goodness. Um, my eyes are made bigger, you know, very much like the, the Bratz doll, the Kim Kardashian aesthetic. So you could sort of suss out those details, but I think at the end of the day, we have to look at each individual for not only their cultural influence, but like their own individual preferences layered on top of that. So it, in, in my mind, it really did kind of, kind of blow the whole lid off of what I had expected to see, because I maybe did expect to see certain aesthetics that would correlate to my preconceived notions of what that country believed to be beautiful. And in general, were there certain, I know you didn't find trends necessarily, but were there certain facial features that were often exaggerated by the participants or more so than other facial features? Definitely the lips were um, a big area of focus and um, airbrushing my skin to make it look more perfect, getting rid of any sort of freckles or scars. Mm -hmm. And my eyes, you know, given makeup, made bigger. And then also definitely my chin made to be a bit more more pointy. Very, very interesting. I know it's been years since you did this project, but has time shaped your own thoughts on the subject of beauty and attractiveness? You know, I would say that I think at the time I definitely went into the project kind of believing that my hypothesis would prove to be correct. You know, that every country has a specific set of beauty standards and I think if you do enough research and if you experience that culture in that country for long enough, you'll start to see certain trends, you know, and we can see that in data when it comes to like the sales of bleaching creams for your skin, mm -hmm. you know, this, um, this desire to have lighter skin versus tanner skin. So I think that those standards definitely do exist. But there's so many multitudes within a single culture and a single country that was, you know, far more nuanced than I think I could have even conceived of up at, at that time. And so I think my perspective on the topic has just definitely been expanded since then. Even within a single country, there's going to be so many different expectations that women or individuals in general are going to hold themselves up to, different standards that we hold ourselves to when it comes to the concept of beauty. Absolutely. That's a good perspective to have. And let me just ask you personally, how vulnerable did you feel being the subject of this inquiry? Do you think you in particular or most people are critical of their own appearance and would have a difficult time putting themselves out there as you did? You know, I think that I didn't expect to get the attention that this project, you know, got. And in hindsight, I think I would have proceeded with caution. I'm not sure I would have made the same choice. Not that I regret it, but if you're to tell someone like you're your face not just like a video that you're in or a project you made but your face is going to be shared so widely and mm -hmm. critiqued so many times so extensively right. <laughs> right i i think i would have been very hesitant i mean who wouldn't to undergo that sort of a process but looking back i mean i was 24 you know it's like the height of our our confidence in a lot of ways you're through the awkward teenager phase um, you've come into yourself more as an adult and you feel a bit invincible in so many ways, you know, had never had that much attention cast on me and had never really had my aesthetics picked apart in that way. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, too, you know, I've grown up in a culture that for the most part has perceived my image as qualifying in these concepts of conventional beauty. Yeah, I didn't have that fear, initial fear of being so scrutinized.
I know this is not your area of expertise, of course, but do you think our world concept of the expectations of beauty um, have changed over the years and decades that you've been living? Do you sense that there is a trend in any particular direction? If I had to take a position on this question, you know, again, not that I'm studying this by any sort of, course. of you know, statistical or scientific means, but I would expect that because our world has become so globalized, certain trends that are happening on TikTok in the United States are also taking place in another country around the world um, where the sim- you know, similar like cultural expectations and resources may not even be the same. And so each year, um, our world becomes increasingly globalized and that changes what we consume and it, it changes even what we desire to see mm-hmm. in ourselves and our own concept of beauty. Absolutely. I love, you know, poking around on Instagram, for example, and finding random accounts from different parts of the world. And you see young women in Bangladesh dressed like a teenager in Kansas City, you know, like a, a young woman of the same age yes. in a, a country across oh, the world. So you see, yeah. you see how these these trends are interchangeable, and you see like the uncomprehensible fame that like the Kardashians have, and they've set their own standard of, of beauty, and, mm-hmm. and absolutely shifted even like the the market of plastic surgery in the U.S. and mm-hmm. and I would assume most certainly abroad. So in my mind, because beauty is so much a part of how we sell things. It's so much a part of how we get people to consume. Mm -hmm. And globalization, of course, is driven by consumerism and a global economy that beauty would come right along with it, that we, we start to see a lot of the same expectations and yeah, sort of fingerprints all over um, different cultures around the world. Yeah, that's very insightful. And you know, from day to day cultural exposure in your life, in general, uh, we've been talking about young women, but do you find that there are different standards of beauty or attractiveness for women versus men? I think that women have always, yeah, been under like an, an exceptional amount of pressure to fulfill different expectations of beauty. And I think part of the difference there is that for a woman, it's everything from her face to her body to like the shape of her legs to you know how long her torso is and how defined her abs are and whether or not she has the little dimples on, you know, the on her lower back. Mm. And those standards change so frequently. So, you know, when I was a little girl, um, the most common plastic surgery was breast implants. Mm-hmm. And then that changed to being the Brazilian butt lift in the last 10 years. And so the expectation of like, well, now you don't just need to have a full breast, like now it's actually more important that you have very curvaceous behind. And and so those standards seem to change pretty rapidly and and that's more of a trend. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily see those same expectations changing for what, you know, what is considered to be an attractive male, right? Like absolutely men have to fall under, there's an expectation that you're Um, you have chiseled abs and you have huge biceps and like those things are a part of like the standard of what we would consider to be an attractive male but their standards of beauty or attractiveness don't seem to be subject to changing trends. You know it's interesting as a plastic surgeon over the course of my practice I did notice that uh, there was an increasing uh, percentage of men who would seek out um, cosmetic surgery and procedures. Uh, Very interesting and Um, When you do 
sit down and discuss the subject with some of those potential patients, there is just over the years a stronger pull towards becoming more attractive or paying more attention to the appearance that they have, whether it's facial or body. But what's interesting is that the spectrum of acceptance of appearance seems to be much broader for men than it does for women in our society. And so there seems to be more leeway for a man in particular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I would say that something that I saw online that I thought was interesting was as we go further into this, I don't know if I want to call it a fad or maybe new chapter in advertisements where we're pushing for there to be more inclusivity of different body types and we're getting everything from people who are more curvaceous to people who are uh, shorter, you know, like completely breaking with the, the traditional expectation of a model in, in mm-hmm. the ad world of advertisement. We're still not necessarily seeing that when it comes to men. We still tend to see the tall, attractive, muscular man. Um, I think I saw it on a popular celebrity's clothing line that they launched and someone called them out for being like one of the first examples of using, I think it, it was Rihanna. It was Rihanna and her Fenty line, which is her, her line for lingerie. Yes. was one of the first, you know, sort of examples of not only breaking that barrier for women, which has long been the expectation, but doing the same for, for the male body type. Yeah, interesting. Well, in a very abstract sense, do you think we can use the concept of beauty as a bit of a metaphor about where we're headed as a society in the future? What is your personal impression? Do you think we're getting more tolerant of differences amongst each other or less tolerant? I think, like everything, there's a spectrum there. Mm-hmm. I think that there are little girls who are seeing bodies that look like theirs in the advertisements they see online and coming more and more intense. Do you think age makes a difference? Do you feel like, since we're talking about women, younger women in particular feel a stronger pull to modify their appearance, whether it be through something like plastic surgery or cosmetic procedures or through filters, as we're talking about, with their social media presence, versus women who are older and perhaps have had a little more living under their belt, so to speak, and as you say, are a little more accepting of their appearance. Though I will tell you, as a plastic surgeon, there were plenty of women as, as we age who still feel a strong pull to make some modifications. From my perspective, I would imagine that there are essentially two chapters to that story, right? There's the initial younger, you know, 20-something-year-old who says, I'm tired of having small breasts and I have my own money now and I'm going to go forward with this procedure because it's going to give me the body that... I've always wanted and then maybe you have the woman who's been completely confident with her body up until her late 30s up until yeah raising my hand right here that's um, right you know and then suddenly like the effects of of time of childbirth all of these things start to even if you've been completely confident with everything you've had up until then suddenly um there are now new i guess sort of imperfections to find there are now wrinkles there are now scars and stretch marks and so it's a whole other conversation of how does my body not fit in line with what is the perception of beauty and i think in some ways from what i see online there seems to be this almost desperate race at the late 20s early 30s mark to like try and stop the advancement of time as effectively Mm -hmm. as possible of 
what are the creams I need to get? What is, you know, do I need to go through with Botox? Suddenly everyone starts asking themselves that question. And I think there is a double standard there where it doesn't appear to be as significant for men, though I don't doubt that men seek those sorts of treatments and, you know, skincare uh, techniques. But I would say that being a curvy woman, being, you know, a woman with something about your physical appearance that makes you different, those are all different you know, barriers to break, but certainly the one of age and older women in this society is still one that we're contemplating, that we're working with. Well, that's a very interesting perspective, and it really does mirror what we typically see as plastic surgeons as well. So just a reflection of standards of our society, and people sometimes feel the need to modify their appearance, to feel more self-confident, to interact with others, uh, maybe for a job or relationship and things like that. So there really are a lot of pulls, and as you alluded to, there are these waves of participation in cosmetic procedures that are associated with different decades of age. So, you know, the younger 20s and 30s starting to see the first signs of age and wanting to make a change or to stop that process if they possibly can. And then uh, later down the road with childbirth, there are changes in the body and wanting to interact with that. And then even later, close to the time of menopause, uh, the skin changes, uh, many things change that you don't even expect, and wanting to try to interact with that and make ourselves feel better. So I think you were right on. Oh, a whole, a third chapter there that you just introduced me to that I'm That's right. eagerly You're awaiting. Close to that one yet, are yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, I know, and it has been interesting to kind of experience those two different cycles. Um, or I guess waves, um, just with having, you know, done this project, you know, like I mentioned, initially, when I posted that image, I don't think I could have picked out a flaw that I was seriously concerned about. But yeah, as, as you get older, that confidence can wane a bit. Yeah, that is an interesting perspective as well. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with to know about your take on the concept of beauty in general, the concept of attractiveness? I was having a conversation the other week and I thought I would bring it up in the interview. And that was that, you know, I'm here in Mexico City and I like to think of myself as a fairly olive-skinned, toned person. Um, When I look at photos of me and my friends, I'm always the tannest. But being down here, of course, that reputation does not apply. And um, I was telling a group of my friends, we were out at a pool, and I have a friend from Spain, and she loves to sunbathe. She loves, loves to, to tan all day long. She'll spend hours at the beach just soaking up the sun. Hopefully she's wearing sunscreen. I, I know, I know, right? Um, so they were just so perplexed by it. Just the other month, I, I had a friend tell me she didn't want to go on a boat ride because she didn't want to get, she didn't want her skin to get darker. The expectations are 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 very stark, very different. In certain cultures, a lighter skin tone is perceived as being more beautiful. And so, if you live in a country where a lot of people work outdoors. And um, the longer you work outdoors, of course, the darker your skin will become. And so then by being fair skinned, there is a sense of privilege that you're emitting. It's interesting to me how many times I've maybe worked to try and kind of break down that concept, especially when it comes to different standards of beauty and then how they're applied in different cultures. And it continues to be something that really kind of blows people's minds, you know, something that we, we tend to be so stuck in our own bubble of what beauty looks like in our minds and what we see projected back at us through advertisements 
that when someone tells you that that's not the universal standard, that there really isn't necessarily a universal standard, it never ceases to amaze me how much that notion can really open people's minds. Yeah, and, and what I have seen over my lifespan is a broader appreciation of the beauty of other cultures. And sometimes that comes with different skin tones and the absolute exquisite nature of skin tones that are darker and more pigmented, just sheer beauty to me. And I certainly hope that our society as a whole, our world as a whole, starts to come together to appreciate the fact that beauty comes in so many different colors, shapes, and sizes. And then as you say, there really isn't a universal standard of beauty. Much of it is in the eye of the beholder, but I hope we are all becoming more open-minded and accepting of each other that there are many different ways that beauty can be presented. Yeah, you know, I would I would just say on on that note that I think along with that notion of globalization that I talked about earlier, that you also do see that, you know, this this broader range of beauty being accepted because we have the ability to see each other's faces and recognize beauty in different cultures, I think in a way that wasn't accessible fifty years ago. Well, Esther Honick, it's been a delight having this conversation with you, and you had so many interesting things to say and a great point of view, and uh, thank you for sharing that project with us as well. It held a few surprises for you, it sounds like, and uh, it was so interesting to hear about it. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded. (music) 